Good morning. I'm thankful um, for the songs been led this morning. Um, they they have been centered around the topic we're going to discuss. How sweet, how heavenly uh, is is the sight when those that love the Lord. And then the song goes on to talk about how how they interact with one another. Um, the song that we just sang, oh, the things we can do um, when we use love, when we try, when we're, when we're showing an effort to show love to one another. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. Made mention uh, on the night before Jesus was turned over uh, to the members of the council, uh, before he was turned over to the Jews and eventually over to the Roman soldiers uh, to die. Uh, beginning in John 13, he sits with his disciples. And you'll remember, he washes their feet and then he shares a meal with them, And then he starts speaking to them. And in that message, he, he's trying to communicate to them, trying to tell them that, look, things are going to change. Things are going to be quite different uh, pretty soon. But I got a task for you. There's something that you need to do. Uh, you're you're going to spread this message that I've been spreading. But you're going to have a help. Uh, you're going to have the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you into all truth. But before he even gets into that portion, he opens up, kind of serving as a thesis for his entire message to them. And he says what we've been looking at the last couple weeks in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. For the last few weeks, we've been looking on that, uh, meditating on that idea of loving one another, what it really looks like to love one another. Uh, and to help us guide us in that, we've been looking at different one another passages that we find throughout the New Testament. Uh, we first looked at 1 Peter 4 and verse 8 and how we are to be hospitable with one another. Uh, we talked about that, having this, uh, this attitude that is willing to give up our own things for other people. And in most examples, it happens to include the home and food and things like that. And we need to show this, this attitude of love and giving ourselves over uh, to others. And we mentioned that idea of because we've received grace, we are then going to show grace to others. And then last week, we, we, we looked at this idea of forbearing one another. Colossians 3 and verse 13. That's not a word we use all too often, to for, forbear other people. And we talked about what that means. We looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and just how many of the synonyms for forbearing is used. We looked at how we ought to bear with one another. We ought to cover up one another's sins. We're, we're, we're there to love one another. We, we, we defined it as, as being willing to, well, to be the loser in a lot of situations, to tolerate other people, to put up with other people. And we do that out of love, kind of serving as the basis of forgiveness. So we talked about if you struggle with forgiving other people, Maybe it's because you struggle with tolerating other people and forbearing other people. And that's what we ought to be building up towards. And, and in that, we're proclaiming to be disciples of Jesus in the way that we forbear one another. Well, this morning, I want to look at another one another passage found in Hebrews chapter 10. Go ahead and turn there. We're pretty much going to spend all of our time there in Hebrews chapter 10. Now, the book of Hebrews is a rather dense book. Uh, if you've ever read through it, we're not, we're not going to go through all of it, but I do want to summarize a little bit of it. Um, at the end of Hebrews chapter 10, the writer, of, of whom we don't know the name, uh, gives kind of his reason for writing this, this book. Uh, even though he's kind of thrown in hints along the way, towards the end of Hebrews 10, he lays out, here's what I want you to know. Begin reading with me in verse 32. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 32. He says, But remember 
the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a spectacle, a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you, uh, that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So you see in these first three verses here that, like, look, you've done well. You've suffered. You've even, you've even tried to comfort others who are suffering. You've given up your possessions knowing that there, there's better possessions that God has in store for you. But then he transitions in verse 35. Therefore, do not... Throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a little while, he who is coming will come and, not, and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, but we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And then in chapter 11, he transitions into these wonderful examples of faith. Jesus kind of being the pinnacle of those examples of faith in chapter 12. But it seems as though his purpose for writing this letter is to encourage the readers, don't shrink back. You've shown so many great things. Don't shrink back into that world you came out of. But what's interesting is if you read uh, chapters 1 through 10 to this point, you have this, this beautifully crafted theological argument going deep, having like this huge deep dive into the Old Testament. But really, what this book is, it's really just this emotional plea to Christians to hang on. Hang on just a little bit longer. The readers were, were, were people who had committed their lives uh, to Christ. They had been enlightened, as we read back in verse 32, but they were tempted to shrink back into their culture, to blend in with the culture a little bit more, um, uh, to blend in with the values uh, that surrounded them, because it was easier to do so. It was certainly uh, less threatening to do so. Does that sound familiar? I mean, is this a message that's totally unique to the readers of, of, of Hebrews, this temptation to shrink back into the world you once left? A temptation to blend in with the world around us? Is that something unique to them? No, I, I hope you see that. This struggle, I think, is something that is, is extremely universal, even though, even though the writer goes through uh, detailed arguments as to how Jesus is superior to, to angels, to the priesthood, to Abraham, how his covenant is better than, than the law of Moses, how his promised land is better than that of Canaan, his mountain is better than, than Sinai. And even though... He's, all of these things are innately tied to, to Judaism, something that, I mean, our culture doesn't really know a lot about. I don't think many of us are, are deeply tied into Jewish culture. So, so how can we uh, connect to this? But really what he's communicating is, I want you to see the truth. I want you to know what is true. And he's asking this question, do you want to cling to what is true or what is convenient? That message is universal. And that's largely what the, the book of Hebrews is trying to communicate to us. Do we want to cling to what is true or cling to what is easy and convenient? But if we're truly being honest with ourselves, I don't think we always think logically. I mean, he, he paints this extremely logical picture throughout the book of Hebrews, but 
I don't think we think logically all the time. Sometimes we use our emotions over our logic, which, which is fine in some occasions. I'm not trying to knock emotions, but at the same time, what, what we're supposed to be doing is truth is supposed to guide our emotions. And so when we often think more emotionally, we're not necessarily guided by truth, and we do what keeps us emotionally happy in the moment. And that seems to be part of the struggle of what is going on for the readers uh, of, this, of this letter. The writer of Hebrews is motivating his readers to have faith in the future, to trust in a promise that God has given, God being the one who has delivered on all promises. But in order to truly be faithful to that, to, to have this faith, there's gonna, it's going to require some actions. You're going to have to do some things, and it's going to be some difficult actions. This morning... When I ask, are, are, are we tempted to blend in with our culture around us? Is that something that is threatening to us? Are we tempted to, to, to shrink back and not endure for the sake of Christ? Well, the, the, the writer here provides some practical ways to help uh, in this. If you look earlier in chapter 10, read with me beginning in verse 19. Hebrews 10 verse 19, he says, Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. For not, uh, not forsaking our, our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So after making this great argument at the beginning of, of, of chapter 10, as to how Jesus' sacrifice was superior, uh, because he was both the, uh, the, the blameless high priest who is offering the sacrifice, and he's also... The, the spotless offering itself, the writer concludes with three applications in verses 22 through 25. Three let us statements where he's trying to draw them to a, a conclusion, an application. He says, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love in good deeds. That first one, let us draw near, uh, meaning let us go to God, maybe, maybe in prayer, maybe in, in worship, that we are able to draw near to God with a sincere heart. Earlier, uh, earlier in the chapter, the writer concludes that we have been perfected, verse 14, uh, because of this sacrifice, and that, that there would be no way for us to draw near to God because, well, God is holy and, well, we're far from that, but because of this sacrifice, we have been perfected. Do you trust in that? Do you believe that? Because if you do, you can draw near to God if you have faith in that. And he uses this uh, Old Testament sacrifice language that our, our hearts have been, have been sprinkled, right? How the high priest would have to sprinkle the altar with the, blood of this, uh, with the blood of the offering that we have been sprinkled by his blood. And our bodies have been washed and made pure through water, kind of borrowing that language of the, those purity washings that are found in the law, that we have been made pure by being washed through his blood, that we can now draw near. This is a very personal thing. Each individual must have faith in this in order to draw near. 
It's something that each individual follower of Christ must be convicted of, that we can have faith and we can draw near to Him. That second one, that we hold fast. We hold on tightly to that confession of hope. We confess things that we're, that we're sure about, right? That we have confidence in. So we have no need to waver in our faith because that in which we hope, this, this, this truly being changed, being made clean, uh, and the fact that we can draw near to Him, that hope is a, is a promise given to us by God. And God being the one who is always faithful. So we can hold fast because He is always holding fast to His promise. And assume we've, we've read all of, all, all of Hebrews. We've, we took the time to read chapters 1 through 10 this morning. Then we would be reminded of all of these promises that God has given to, his, to the nation of Israel. And how He's delivered on every single one of them. And the ultimate promise of a Savior, that's what He's given to us. And like the previous application, this holding fast is a very personal thing that each individual ought to consider their own confession of hope, their own confession, and, and, and be convicted by it. But then you get to this last one, this final application. Consider how to stimulate or stir up one another. You see, it's no longer personal, no longer just personal. It's no longer an individual thing, that we have a responsibility to act upon our individual faith, those first two applications. We have a responsibility to act upon our individual faith for the benefit of others. There's that last application. So because this teaches us how we ought to treat one another, by way of this, 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 this series that we're going through, by the way you stir up one another, all men will know that you are my disciples. By the way that we... Uh, stimulate one another to love and good works. So that word stimulate or stir up, uh, as, as other versions put it, it's actually a, a, a noun in the Greek, not a verb, uh, even though that's how we read it in English. It actually means like an irritation, like we're supposed to irritate one another. That, that would really put last week's forbearance lesson to the test, that we're supposed to irritate one another. But I think the idea uh, is that we're, we're, we're creating a, a change. Uh, the only other time this word is used in the New Testament is Acts 15 and verse 39, where Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement. That's what to do with John Mark. That word sharp, dis or that phrase sharp disagreement is the same word that we see here, stir up one another. I think the idea is that we're being challenged to change in a particular direction. I think the NIV puts it best in that it uses the word spur. We're supposed to spur one another. I've never ridden a horse. Y'all know, uh, I'm sure, a lot more about what, it, what spurs are used for than me. But you're irritating the horse in such a way to get it to move in a particular direction. And so we're called to spur one another or stir up one another to love and good works. I want to think about how we do that this morning. Now, if verse 24 was the last bit of this final application, then this lesson would take a very different route, because we could, we could brainstorm for a long time as to what, what it might look like to uh, stir up one another uh, to love and good works. But the writer gives us a clue as to how to do that in verse 25. In verse 25, he places the context of spurring one another or stirring up one another in the context of meeting together. Verse, uh, uh, chapter 10 and verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
I want to think about this verse a little bit more. When do you, when do you usually hear the ver, uh, Hebrews 10 and verse 25? Well, it's typically in the context of, uh, of church attendance, right? Like this is the go-to verse. Uh, this is the go-to verse when it comes to uh, proving that we all must go to church, right? Now, I'm not going to stand up here and give you some curveball and say it's not actually telling you to go to church. I'm not, I'm not going to say that. Uh, that's not the conclusion. However, I do want to meditate on this verse a little bit more. Uh, and I want to ask the question, what is he trying to communicate in this particular passage? And I think it cuts a little deeper than just required attendance. But to do that, I actually want to look at a different passage that has absolutely no connection or resemblance to what's being talked about here. Um, Ephesians chapter 4 and 28. I want to draw a conclusion from this passage that I think does apply to what we see in Hebrews 10 and verse 25. All right, Ephesians 4 verse 28, I got it on the screen there. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. All right, so we have a problem here. We've got a problem of stealing. There's a thief in the midst, and so something needs to be done about it. And Paul's solution to this thief is, well, don't steal anymore. Stop stealing. That, that's, that's part of the solution. But notice, he does not say, don't steal, but rather work so that you just stop sinning, so that you're not sinning anymore. He doesn't say, don't steal, but rather work, because, well, it's the right thing to do, uh, and you'll finally be right with God if you stop doing this. Notice he doesn't say, don't steal, but rather work, so that you can provide for yourself. You can make an honest wage, and people will stop having to take care of you. Now, all those things are true. Right? Those are reasonable conclusions, but that's not what Paul says. Yes, the substitute for stealing is, in fact, working. But Paul cuts to the heart of what, of what the issue is. The heart of the issue is that you're stealing because you're selfish. You're, you're showing laziness, but that laziness is drawn to you being Selfish. So what is the solution to selfishness but selflessness? And so what Paul is, being, is encouraging them to do, hey, don't steal anymore, but work. And whatever you collect, whatever you make as far as your work is concerned, go share it with other people. Go take that work and share it with other people. That's, that's the conclusion that he draws. Well, I think we see something similar in Hebrews 10 and verse 25. Notice in Hebrews 10 and verse 25, he doesn't say, don't forsake the assembly, but rather assemble because, well, it'd be wrong if you didn't. He doesn't say, don't forsake the assembly, but rather assemble so that you can learn as much as you can about God. He doesn't say, don't, forget, uh, don't forsake the assembly, but rather assemble so that you can be really encouraged by an uplifting service. Now, all those things are true. But what is his conclusion? The problem, as we established before, the problem for these readers is that they were tempted to shrink back. They didn't want to draw near anymore. They didn't want to hold fast anymore. And apparently, they no longer wanted to assemble anymore. So yes, the solution to not assembling was to assemble. But the heart of the issue is that they were shrinking back. And that they were being stirred up or spurred by people outside of the faith rather than people inside of the faith. So how would they be encouraged? Well, it would be to be with other people who share this same faith. The writer gets to the heart of the issue. Yes, meet together, but when you do, you stir up one another. 
When you meet together, you stir up one another. You strengthen and encourage one another to draw near, to hold fast and do these works of faith out of love for one another. I'm convinced, I'm convinced that all of us do better mentally, physically, spiritually when we have a task to accomplish. Uh, I think you see this from a really early age. You give a little kid a little task, and maybe it's just to close the door behind you or something like that. Kids want something to do. They want to have that fulfillment of completing a task. And I think it goes for us as well. And I think it goes all the way back to the very beginning. In Genesis 1 and 2, we were created, and what did God do? He gave us a task. He gave us something to do to take care of the garden. Not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of of others and go on to Abraham. Abraham was to be a blessing to other nations. I think there is something ingrained in us to find fulfillment within a task. And I believe we can misapply the thought of not neglecting to meet together by strictly saying that we're missing out on all the benefits that church can be for you. Now, of course, there are some great benefits uh, being at church. Uh, there, there, are, there are benefits uh, to all these things. However, if, if this is the only way that we look at church as to how, or what we can get out of it, it actually places the task on others, consequently making your fulfillment totally contingent on other people, which may account for a lack of attendance. It may account for disunity within the church. It may account for why people hop from one church to another. It may account on, as to why preachers and, and, and leaders in churches are so burnt out because everybody else's fulfillment is totally based on them. Is that what's being taught in this passage? To find your fulfillment in what other people are, are doing for you? Or is it what you can do for other people? I also believe we've misused this verse by, by strictly making it a go-to uh, for checking the box of going to church. Because if that's the extent of our task, just going to church, it's not a very fulfilling task. Um, which is why maybe forsaking the assembly is easy for some because, it, well, if all it is is just a box to be checked, well, then I can just try it again next week and then we'll do that. We'll, we'll meet this again later. Not that personal fulfillment is our, is our goal, it, it, it shouldn't be, but we ought to see assembling together as a good task that has been given to us. And part of that task is for one another. Of course, we want to be uplifted, we want to learn. However, one of our main goals must be the responsibility that we have to other people. This is a meaningful task that is not so easily ignored. If we see other people need me there, because I can be a service to them. We ought to be motivated to go to church by our gratitude to God and His saving grace. I don't want to neglect that. I don't want to lose sight of that. But similar to the hospitality discussion we had a few weeks ago, we have received grace from God, and we ought to be willing to show grace to others when we meet together. So does this verse teach us just to, to, to go to church and to assemble? Absolutely, it does. But it's hard to say we're, we're truly drawing near to God in faith if we're neglecting what the disciples were doing from the beginning, and that was getting together. But it teaches us to get together for a purpose, specifically for one another. So I want to look at what it practically means in verse 24 to stir up one another to love in good works. Well, the first word you see uh, after this let us is let us 
consider. Let us consider, meaning, meaning let us think ahead. If we're going to meet together, we need to think ahead when we do it. We need to consider something. We need, we need to plan, have some purposeful insight. Have you considered this morning? For example, have you, have you asked this question, like, why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Why did you come to church today? Do we ever ask ourselves that? I, I don't, certainly not as often as I should. Why am I sitting where I'm sitting this morning? I mean, ask yourself that right now. Are you here this morning to consume or to contribute? Which, which, which of those two terms would best define why you are here this morning? Or any of those two terms, maybe neither one. And that might seem a little harsh to kind of paint the picture that way, but if we're going to use Hebrews 10 and verse 25 as our go-to verse for church attendance, then let's not ignore verse 24 that puts the burden of responsibility on you to stir up other people when you meet together. Is that why you're here? To stir up one another this morning. Have you, have you considered how you're going to stir up other people this morning? Like, like, did you have a plan coming to church this morning? I'm sure a lot of us have routines uh, that we have before we come to church on Sunday mornings. Maybe we listen to certain things, we, or we don't listen to certain things, or we read certain things and we ignore other things. We have a, a way of getting our minds ready. Is part of that way thinking about a specific conversation that I want to have with somebody when I get there? Or maybe doing your lesson and, and, and figuring out a question that, that you want to ask in Bible class or a comment that you might want to make in Bible class or, or, or maybe a word of encouragement that you want to give to someone or maybe a specific reason why you're sitting where you're sitting this morning in your pews, right? Do we have, have we considered these things? Have we considered a purpose behind our actions this morning? If we're truly going to spur one another, stir up one another to love and good works, we must first consider how we're going to do that. But then secondly, our motivation for this must be love and good works, right? So how are we stirring up uh, others uh, to be more loving, to do more good things? How can we do that? Well, I think first, as we consider like when we're actually meeting together, is our example when we assemble. What your example can be. And the most obvious one, the most obvious one is just the fact that you're here. Your presence this morning is an example to other people. Uh, it is beneficial to see people. Seeing a full house is just an encouraging thing. Just knowing that there are other people concerned about God's word is an encouraging thing. It helps us draw near. It helps us hold fast. It helps us show love and good works and all these things. After all, you can't really stir up one another if you're not around one another, right? So that there's just being here is good. So in as much as it is in your control, and I know as we've talked about many times, it is out of some people's control whether they can be here or not. That's not what I'm talking about. But in as much as it is in your control, whenever brethren assemble together, your presence is uplifting. Your presence stirs up one another. I remember, I remember one time... In high school, uh, I went to a singing. There are a bunch of high school kids, college kids who were, who were singing. Well, my sister, uh, who, who, who's a Christian, was unable to come. And she usually came to all these things. She, she never, never missed. Uh, but she wasn't able to come this time because she was sick. Um, but someone in, in our group decided to call her while we were singing, you know, try and encourage her that way. Uh, so we called her, got her on speakerphone, and we start singing. 
Well, my, my sister decided she wanted to start singing too, and if she does anything, she does it pretty passionately, and she was singing rather loud, but it's over the phone, so you know what happens. Like, there's this delay that happens as she starts singing. And in my head, I can't remember what song it was. In my head, it's like one of those call and response songs, like Our God is Alive or something. And so we're already having this call and response, and there's my sister with this third echo going on. And it was just, it was chaos the whole time as we were trying to do that. Um, But as I think about that story, as I reflect on that, um, it was a reminder to me of how much different it was when she wasn't there. We tried to make it the same. We tried to account for it. We, we, we called her in, and we, we, we tried to be encouraged by her in that regard, but it just added to the chaos that was a high school singing. Um, it's not the same when you're not here. And I know there's other ways that we try and account for it. We have online services, and I hope it's beneficial for some. Those of you who are listening online, I hope it is beneficial to you. But at the same time, if you can meet with somebody wherever you are, in whatever country you're in, meet with people. Stir up one another in their presence to love and good works. 1 Corinthians 14 um, talks about what we do when we meet together. And it's to edify. When we get together, we, we, we edify one another. And maybe it's important, or excuse me, it's easy for us to see the importance uh, in meeting together on Sunday mornings. For some reason, that, that feels like the more important service to go to, and so we do that. But Sunday afternoons, gospel meetings, stuff like that, well, that's, that, that, maybe that's different. Is it a sin to miss those? Well, if you're looking for like a box-checking kind of answer, that's not what I'm going to give you. Um, perhaps a good response is, well, what would a heart that desires to draw near to God choose to do? Uh, Again, there are specific situations in people's lives, responsibilities that they have for themselves and for other people that might keep them away from here. But ask yourself the question, what would a heart that desires to draw near to God do? But specifically, as it pertains to this lesson, what would a heart that is seeking to stir up other people choose to do? Maybe that can answer your question as to whether you have to come to services or not. But again, we come and we do these acts of worship. We've we've sung, we've prayed, uh, we've read God's word. We do these things to edify as as we look at 1 Corinthians 14. So as we think about different acts of worship, our example within those acts can be encouraging to other people. If you are leading in worship, men, those of you who are, who are leading in worship, have you given thorough preparation to what you're about to do? Have you thought about the songs that you've, you, you've chosen? Have you thought about the prayers that you're doing? Because you're leading other people in that. And are you stirring them up in that? But then there's also just our example in the way that we do sing, right? We sing to encourage. That's another one, another passage that we, maybe we'll have time to get to Uh, another time. Colossians 3 and verse 16, that we teach and admonish one another in the way that we sing. I think we encourage people in the way that we're engaged in worship, be that uh, the service, be that Bible class, things like that, the way that we actively prepare for these things. Our demeanor in prayer, all of these things, I think, can be a a contribution and encouragement to other people. But notice, these aren't really, these, these particular ways aren't ways that we actively engage with people, but it certainly is a way that we stir up one another. But we should go uh, beyond just being here and, and doing these things. 
don't just come to, to services, but come and, and, and stay for a while, right? Uh, show, up, show up early and, and, and stay late. Maybe that's something we can do. I, it's one of my favorite things is to kind of stick around here and just observe how many people are getting shoved out the door because you keep, well, you won't go away and you keep talking to people and, and everyone keeps having these wonderful conversations and, 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 and it's, it, we can't really quantify just what's happening in there, but God knows and that's a great thing that you're doing by sticking around. We're blessed. We're, we're absolutely blessed in that most of us don't have to work today. Some of you do, and yet you've chosen to be here anyways, and I appreciate that, and that's a wonderful example. But most of us don't have to work today. So redeem the time. Use this time. Well, we're already here. Why would we not use this as a way to encourage and uplift one another? Because if we see meeting together as just something we have to do uh, to check a box and obey a particular verse— well, then there's no reason to show up early and stay late. That would be like showing up early to work and just sitting there and not clocking in or clocking out and just sitting there and doing more work or something like that. No, you're not going to do that for work. But if you're here for a purpose, if you're here to stimulate one another, to stir up one another, well, then there is a reason to get here a little earlier, to stay a little later and, and, and converse with people. We can use this time uh, maybe to talk about services, to encourage one another, to have meaningful conversation. I think we ought to try to engage in meaningful conversation. It's not that we can't talk about music or sports or daily life or things like that. But if we truly consider what the writer says at the end of verse 25, which is the day is drawing near, which means what day is that? But judgment, right? That's what he talks about after that in the next few verses. Because judgment is around the corner. Well, we ought to be trying to stir one another up to love and good works so that they can be prepared for that judgment. If we truly see the urgency of this, then our conversations, I think, will be a little bit more meaningful. We ought to be choosing to have these type of conversations. We're, we're, we're going we're gonna to genuinely ask people how they're doing. We're going to offer help when it's needed, comfort when it's needed, uh, praise when it's warranted, admonishment when it's appropriate. Uh, what better place to, to do that? What better time to do that than we are, when we are meeting together as brothers and sisters in Christ who have our minds dedicated to the Lord? But again, we're not limited to only when we meet as a body to stir one another up to love and good works. I think we ought to be making plans to meet at other times, too. And maybe that means here in this building, or maybe that means in each other's homes. You think back on the hospitality lesson from before. But seeking ways to find encouragement with brothers and sisters in Christ. Attempting to stir them up to love and good works. We, we focused our attention this morning uh, on how we can stir up one another. Um, however, I, I hope we're able to see that we, we can do that within services. We ought to be doing that within services, but we ought to be doing that outside of it as well. And I'm sure there's a whole lot more that we could say on this topic. But I want you to remember that the way in which we stir up one another is a way that we show love. And in that, it is a way that we prove that we are disciples of Jesus. And remember in John 17, our unity um, that Jesus prays about. Um, the way that we love one another is also a testimony of God's love for us. And I believe Hebrews 10 is teaching that. I think it shows that pretty clearly, that part of drawing near to God, uh, because we have been cleansed and, and we're holding fast to our confession of hope, is just by assembling together. And perhaps a way that God shows his nearness to us is through brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Have you felt that before? Have you felt God's presence because you've been around other godly people? Do you feel that now? Well, if not, then see how you can contribute rather than consume and create that for someone else. I want us to consider uh, two things this morning before we leave. I want you to consider two things. First thing, I want you this morning to consider one act of worship. So something that we do when we meet together that you're going to be a little bit more purposeful in. You're going to think a little bit more. I'm going to think more about the words that we're singing when we sing rather than how I sound. Or I'm going to think about Bible class before Bible class starts and have a preparation for that. Or I'm going to think about different conversations that I can have or, or, or different times that we can meet together, things like that. And then the second thing, I want you to think of something outside of worship that you can do to stir somebody up. Have a particular person in mind, maybe. Dwell on these things. Meditate on these things. So when we come back tonight, maybe you can have more meaningful uh, conversation because you've thought about that. I want us each to choose two things that we can improve on this morning as far as stirring up one another is concerned. It, it, it's so important for us to consider these things because just like the original audience of this letter, we are tempted to shrink back. We are tempted to blend in with the culture more than we should because it's easier. It's the typical thing to do, and, and, and we need one another to help strengthen us in that, in that fight. And we ought to use this time wisely. If this lesson has stirred you up uh, to commit your life to Christ, well, there's no better time than now to do that, to commit your life to Him. But if, it, if it's at least uh, stirred you up to want to consider Christ a little bit more, maybe study His Word a little bit more, I would love to be one who studied the Bible with you. And there's a whole lot of other people here who would love to do the same thing. So use this time to talk to somebody. Hey, would you be willing to meet with me so we can talk about Jesus a little bit more? But if you're a Christian and you just haven't been doing what you're supposed to be doing, maybe outside of church, maybe in church, or you have a problem with someone across the building and you don't know how to talk to them or something like that, how can you stir up that brother? If you need to, to reconsider these things this morning, this is an invitation. That's what we're going to offer. We're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to offer this invitation. And as we do that, I want you to dwell on those things. And if you need to make some sort of public confession, whether that be commit your life to Christ or repent of something in particular, do that now as we stand and as we sing.